If you're visiting with us, um, I always, I'm starting off every week as I start this, kind of explaining what it's not. What it's not is this is not the all-request weekend of, you know, of K97 whatever, you know, and, and people say, Pastor, preach on this, although some of the things, topics have been, come through people asking questions. But rather what we've been doing is we're talking about by popular demand during the series. We've been discussing various topics that tend to come up repeatedly in Christian circles. Some really fun ones, some not so fun ones. Last week we dealt with one that some people might not have liked. I, I discussed last week why I choose not to drink. You know, looked at it from Scripture, why I choose. And you know, we said it's not a salvation issue. I think it's a wisdom issue. And so we talked about some hard topics. We've talked about some easy topics, some fun topics. Um, and so today we're going to talk about a topic that's by popular demand, but something a little bit different in this series. And we're going to do this for a couple more weeks, but today a little bit different. In fact, the topic that I want to discuss today is one I almost never hear people talk about and discuss. Um, and you say, then, why would you discuss it if it's by popular demand? Um, because this is a topic that only a, 10 years ago I taught, heard talked about all the time. But there's been this switch in the last decade or so where Christian people don't seem to mention this anymore. Um, and I hardly ever hear about it anymore. But there's a reason why it's a by popular demand topic. And it's for this reason. Because God talks about it all the time in the Bible. And although it's kind of fine because it's, it's something that's constantly talked about in Scripture, but used to be talked about, at least in the church circles I've run in, um, in the last little while, last, last number of years, but in the last 10 years or so, I hardly hear it talked about at all anymore, but God talks about it all the, fact, all the time. In fact, this topic is specifically mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament. That's a lot, right? It's the principle of Scripture, understand, there's a principle. Repetition is for emphasis. If God repeats something over and over and over, it means he's trying to make a point. And so what some people try to do is something's said once in some obscure passage and they try to make some doctrine out of it. No, stick with the main and the plain. When God says it over and over... We get the point. He's trying to make a point here. Repetition is for emphasis. The topic we're going to talk about today is mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament, and all nine authors of the New Testament mention this at least once, and most of them mention it numerous times. Now, any guess what the topic might be? Let's let um, Dr. Luke introduce the topic for us. Okay? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Let's let Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, Acts chapter 1, going to read four verses, going to let him introduce our topic for today, and let me put it in context, this is talking about the ascension of Christ, and um, this is right after Jesus has done his ministry, he's gone to the cross, he's died, he's been risen from the, from the grave, he's ministered to his disciples for a period of, of, uh, of uh, about 40 days, and now he's rising to heaven to seat, be seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what happens, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. It says that after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the clouds received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? 
This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The angel said it right there. Dr. Luke records it. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. What's the topic, the the by popular demand topic today that over 60 times is said in the New Testament, all authors of the New Testament talk about it? It's this, Jesus is coming again. That's the topic, you know, Jesus is coming again. That's the topic that I want us to look at today, that he is coming back. That there is a very real day somewhere in the future, maybe today, when Jesus will return. We know from Scripture this. We know we don't know when it will be, but we know that it will be in all of the New Testament authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit have told us that it's true. Now, I don't know if I've just been in a peculiar bubble for the last 10 years or so, but has anybody else noticed that you rarely hear anybody talk about this anymore? Right? You've been around the church world for a number of years. Twenty, you know, I, got, I came to Christ about 25, 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago. 31 years ago, something like that. And it was kind of a common topic among people. And I'm not exactly sure why it's not talked about anymore, but I think I have a theory on it. I think we don't hear it talked about that much anymore because for the most part, we have such good lives in the here and now that there's very little longing for something better. I do know when we lived in Cambodia as missionaries, we heard people talk about the second coming all the time because they lived in a garbage dump. But we don't live in a garbage dump. We live, we're the most best, you say, well, I got a hard life. You, I'm not saying we don't have hard lives, but we have the most blessed lives on the planet. We really do. So that's just kind of my theory. And I may be wrong as to why I don't hear us think about it and talk about it. I know I still preach about it, but I'm pretty certain about this, that scripture places a greater emphasis on this topic than the church world is today, at least in America. And so... By popular demand from Scripture. Is that all right if I change it or tweak it a little bit today? Not just from conversations, but maybe from the ultimate conversation we ought to be having every day as we spend time in God's Word. That by popular demand from Scripture, let's talk about this today. And what I want to do is I want to look at a section of Scripture where Peter, one of, one of Christ's followers, one of the disciples, is going to do the same thing that I'm doing today. That he's takes a time in scripture and he's reminding a group of Jesus's followers that Jesus is really coming back and then he explains how this truth should affect how they live because it's not just about them knowing he's coming back but I want us to talk about and think about today what does that mean about how you and I ought to live our daily lives right so let's turn in our Bibles to second Peter second Peter the third chapter I'm going to read a really lengthy section of Scripture, 18 verses. 2 Peter, chapter 3. If you're new to Christ, it's kind of near the end of the New Testament. So go to the end and turn back a little bit. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. You're welcome to have one. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those home. They're free to you. So, 2 Peter, chapter 3. Now pay attention right here when I start because Peter is saying this is why he explains why he's going to talk about what he talks about. It says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. In other words, he's saying, you already know this, but I'm reminding you again about it. 
Understand, that's what preaching is often really what it's about. Sometimes people always want to say, what's the latest, the greatest, the newest? There's not a lot of new under the sun. A lot of preaching, a lot of teaching is stirring us up by way of reminder because I don't know about you, but I tend to forget and I tend to maybe, I know it back here, but I'm not living it in here. And so that's what he's doing. He said, I'm stirring you up by sincere, your sincere mind, by, remember, sincere mind, we have sincere minds, by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? The promise of Jesus' return. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So flooded by what, what time? Noah. He's talking about world history here. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in other words, unplanned and unexpected, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. All right. I know it's a long section to read, a whole chapter. But it's a chapter where, where Peter is trying to do what I want to do today, stir up a reminder about what God says about Jesus returning. And I find it interesting that at the time when Peter was ministering and writing, that people had to already be reminded of this. They had already begun to question whether or not Jesus would really return. They had to question, they were questioning, is this really true? So Peter wrote this in about AD 65, about 65 years after Christ had risen, and found that people already 
not only questioning if it was true, but apparently mocking and making fun of people who said it was true. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So here we have Peter, an eyewitness to Jesus' ascension, one who saw and heard the angels say that Jesus would return, stirring up or reminding Christ's followers that Jesus really is going to come back. Now think about this. If it was necessary to remind those folks about this, they're surrounded by people who say, I was there that day. If it was necessary to remind them about this, how much more important is it for me to remind us about this today? After all, we're not just a few decades from the promises made by Jesus returning. We are two millennia, 2,000 plus years away from the promises that were made. And I think that what Peter wrote to, to that group of Christ followers is probably even more important than to us in this crowd of Christ followers because we are farther out from it and we are closer to Christ's actual return. So what do we find Peter saying to that group of people? What we find Peter saying is basically this, that in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, there are some things that we should know and there are some, some ways that we should live. And that's what I want to talk about from this text today. So let's look at it. First of all, what does Peter say that they and we should know about the coming of Christ. And it's basically, he makes this point, it's the first part that we read, this point, that the Lord is not slow about returning because his timing is perfect. That's the first point he makes. Before he's going to go on, there's kind of a break in this, in this long thing we read. The first part he talks about this, that he's not slow about returning, and then he's going to say, and in light of that, he's going to say, therefore, since... These things now live like this. So the first thing he talks about, he lays out a foundation of saying, listen, the Lord's not slow about returning. His timing is perfect. You see, that's what the people of that day were saying. They were saying, well, if he's coming back, well, then where is he? And since we don't see him and it's 65 years later, obviously it's not going to happen. Uh, Peter, you're a fool for believing it. They're mocking, you know. So Peter explains. He said, the Lord's not slow about returning. Rather, the Lord is patient. See, God's great love for humanity restrains him so that all people will have a chance to hear his message and repent, to turn from their way of self-willed life and turn to a way following Christ. He restrains himself, he's patient, so that more people will have more time to turn from their own self-willed lives to lives where Jesus becomes their Savior and their Lord. And that's what he says in verse 9. The Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, friends, there is a really important underlying truth woven in here, and it's this. That God is in control of everything, and that everything is running on his timetable. That's the underlying principle that Peter's trying to get across here. He's saying, he's not slow. He's saying, listen, God has a plan and he's working out his plan in his perfect times. That's an important principle for you guys and for me to understand every day of my life, every day of your life. 
Because sometimes we can look at life and at things in our lives and things around the world and it can seem like everything is out of control. We watch the news and it seems like our country is headed in the wrong direction. We look at it and we go, it's out of control. We look at our kids. They grow up and they begin to walk on paths and we go, you know what? We're concerned because it doesn't seem that their kids are going the direction that we thought they ought to go and it seems like it's out of control. We work our jobs and we find our jobs can be difficult to tolerate. Sometimes they can be difficult to find. Or we have health situations that we say, but God, I've served you all my life. How come I got this diagnosis now, God? It's not fair. Or we can listen to what's going on in the world and say, God, with this rise of radical Islam, God, Christianity is going to be destroyed. It's all out of control. Sometimes we just think that way. But Peter wants to remind us of something using this topic as a way of reminder. And Peter reminds us, here that ultimately God is in control. That God does have a plan and that he is working out his plan at the right time. And that plan that he is working out includes when Jesus will return and it includes every aspect of your life if you, if and as you surrender your life to him. Now maybe to us, we think he's being slow. Whether it's Christ's return or answering prayers about situations in our life. But Peter reminds us that God functions on a different plane than we do. He says to God, a thousand years is like a day and days like a thousand years. He says he doesn't live by our limitations. He doesn't view things the way we do. We view things linear with this restraint of time. But he says, listen, God's not limited by time. God's not limited by space. He says, no, rather, this is what his point he makes, God is compelled by love. He's not limited. Rather, he's compelled. He's motivated by love. His love for humanity, his love for more people to come to know him and to reap the blessings of that relationship is what motivates his actions, including his restraint that keeps him from coming back yesterday and maybe says he's going to come back today. So as his children, this is what the the outcome of that is. We can rest in the reality that he is in control and we can trust that he works his plans out in his perfect time. Friends, if he can control the function of the entire world, if he's got all the seasons of things that are going to happen, he, he talks out of the whole, that litany there of saying, God created everything, that he flooded the world, he, then he's reserving it for judgment, he's in control of all that. If we can, con- can trust him with all of that, then he really can work things out in our lives for the good as we surrender our lives to him. Amen? You know, I'm guessing this. I'm guessing that there are some things that some of you need to hand over to God today and to trust Him because you've been trying to control them. And God's saying, let me control it. There's some things in your life right now that you're worried about and you carry. And you say, God, I can trust you with all this, but I can't trust you with that. And you might not actually say that, but it's how you live and how you worry. There's some things that you need to hand over to him today and trust that out of his love, he can and he will work things out. You know what? Let God be God in your life today. If he is your Lord and Savior, let him be your Lord and Savior today and trust him. Peter's saying, if you can trust him with all of this, with the times and the seasons and and the flooding the earth and preserving it for fire and the coming back of Christ, he said, listen, then you can trust him with everything in your life. Make sense? We could say amen and leave after this right now, but Peter didn't stop right there. 
And I don't want to stop, but I've got to hurry. Now, once Peter takes this first part of the text and he reassured the folks and us that Jesus is really still coming back, that he's working out his perfect plan in his perfect time, then he goes on and he kind of moves, shifts gears, and he begins to tell them then, based on this truth, how they should then live today as they anticipate his return. Basically saying, listen, he's going to return. He's not being slow about his return. Stop worrying about that. He's really in control. And now that you got that settled in your heart and your mind, now understand there are some ways that you should live today as you anticipate his return. And he specifies three things through this next part of the text that they and we should be doing in the days between now and when Jesus returns. What I want to do first is just mention the three, and then we're going to take just briefly looking at the three. The three things he says in this next section that we should be doing are these basic things. Number one, we should be living good lives. Number two, we should be helping to speed up Jesus' return. And number three, we should be watching out for error. So let's look at those. Number one, we should be living good lives. Look at verses 11 and 14. Verse 11. It says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. You know, it says, since, because I just said all this stuff, since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Some of your translations say this, more written like this. Because of this is all going to happen, therefore you should live lives of holy conduct and godliness. And that's really, a better, that's really what he's saying there in verse 11. Because of this, that's how you should live. In, a verse, in this translation, NAS is just inferring you understand that. But now look at verse 14. Again, therefore, because of all the things I've said, beloved, since you look for these things, the return of Christ, then be diligent to be found in him, walking in a close relationship with him, in peace, spotless, and blameless. That's what he's saying. He said, listen, you ought to be living good lives. Peter says it like this. He says, in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return, he says, why is he going to return? To bring judgment against sin and sin-ruled people who are not in Christ. He says, therefore, make sure you, beloved, he refers to us as, are living good and godly lives. In other words, he's saying this, be ready because he might return at any moment. There's a bunch of other New Testament um, parables about this that the, the point is saying, listen, live good because he just might return today. Be ready. He's saying, live in such a way that if you return today, you're not going to be embarrassed and you're not going to have any judgment upon your life. In other words, he's saying this, don't give in to sin, rather live lives that are God-honoring and pure. You know, do you know that when you come to Christ, that the power of sin over you in your life has been broken? Do you know that? That your old life ruled by sin has been killed, has been crucified with Christ on the cross, and that now you have the freedom to say no to sin so you can live the kind of life that Peter is saying you should live. That as Christ followers, you are empowered to live better, to live freer, that you don't have to sin anymore, to give in to sin. Yes, we still make mistakes. Yes, we still do sin. But we don't have to give ourselves over to that. And we should be less and less as we become more and more like Jesus. We progressively get better. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, you can live pure and holy and spotless and blameless lives. And those are the words he uses here in verse 11 and verse 14 to describe the kind of life you should have. It should be blameless and spotless and pure. That's the kind of life we should live. See, Scripture says this. It says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
That means the Holy Spirit. God in you can and will empower you to overcome anything that this world, empowered by Satan, tries to use to drag you down. That in Christ, friends, you are a victor. That in Christ, you are an overcomer. And Peter says, live like that as you await and anticipate Jesus' return. So he puts, a, he puts a responsibility on us. He says, yes, he's coming back. And now how we should live in that time? You should live pure and blameless lives. And here's the deal. Don't say, I can't. Because if you're really in Christ, you can. We all have the ability. Again, it's not saying it's sinless perfection. But I'm saying, rather, we have, a, we have the ability, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live good and pure and holy lives. And we ought to shoot at that target. I'm tired of a, of a church world putting the, as a target people who fail. Let's put on that target the people who succeed. Let's shoot to be like Jesus. As Peter says, let's live to be pure lives. Challenge one another to love and good deeds. And say, let's do it right. When, when you see a brother or sister who are living in ways that are improper, you don't judge them. Instead, you come alongside and you put your arm around them and say, how can I help? That's not how God wants you to live. What could be better in your life? Peter's saying, listen, church, live pure and holy lives. That's what God wants for his, for his followers. Right? That's what he's saying. Live good lives. The second thing that he says we should be doing, and this is an amazing one, doing as we are anticipating his return. He says this, we can help speed up Jesus' return. This is amazing to me. Remember, we said God has all things in control in his timetable, but somehow in God's economy, he structures what he does to human activity. Now, i got to tell you, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Because I know me. <laughs> I still haven't removed the cabinets in the kitchen that Suzanne wants down. They will be removed eventually. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wait, I wouldn't base it on people. I'd base it on just what I good and well want to do because it's the right thing to do. But you know what? God somehow has tied his activity to human activity and human involvement. And this amazes me. See, as an overcomer in Christ... You and I can actually speed up Christ's return in a particular way by participating in Jesus' mission. By participating in Jesus' mission. You see, let me explain. What's Jesus' primary mission in this world? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus said it. This is why I've come. I've come to seek and to save the lost. And then he says, as he ascends, he's, right before he ascends, he says, as church, you know what? It's my job. Now I give it to you. Now go and make disciples of all the nations. Seek and to save the lost. In fact, Peter explains that the only reason in this text here that the Father is keeping Christ from returning is to give more people a chance to repent, to turn from sin to Christ, to see his mission fulfilled. That's the only reason he's restraining and waiting. So friends, if we participate in Christ's mission of seeking and saving the lost, it's not about our self-effort, but it's about him working through us, but we still have to participate. If we participate in Christ's mission of seeking and saving the lost, we actually speed up Christ's return. And that's why verse 12 says what it says. Peter can say that we should, what's he say? Be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. The only way you can hasten the coming of the day of God is to participate in his mission. Because that's the only thing that restrains him, right? So it's the only way we can participate in the hastening. Friends, you need to realize something about who you are in Christ. Sometimes we don't understand this. You need to understand who you are in Christ. You're not just someone's kid 
or someone's parent or someone's employee. You are a child of God, a citizen of God's kingdom, filled with God's spirit and commissioned to his mission. That's who you are. You need to remind yourself of that every single day when you get up. That's who you are. You are a child of God, a citizen of God's kingdom, filled with his spirit and commissioned to his mission. You matter eternally and you have an eternal purpose while you anticipate Jesus' return. You get to help other people come to know Jesus. In fact, friends, that is your highest calling in this world. And I'll tell you this, it's where you will find true fulfillment and true joy. And I'll say this, if you don't participate in the mission actively, you will not find true fulfillment and true joy no matter what you try to fill your life with. You can spend all your time praying, all your time fasting, all your time reading the Bible, and if you don't participate in the mission of seeking and saving the lost, you will never find the fulfillment and the joy that God intends for your life to have. Promise based on God's word. See, friends, understand this. Nothing about you is an accident. Remember, we said God has a plan. You were born into the family you are born into for a divine purpose. To help people in your circle, your families, help them come to know Jesus and speed along the return of Christ. You work where you do. You live where you do on purpose, God's purpose, that he has been working out in his perfect time to help other people come to meet Jesus. And as you introduce people to Jesus, you will actually speed up Christ's return. And I want to tell you something, friends. That's worth getting out of bed for in the morning. That's worth getting out of bed for in the morning. That's worth changing your priorities for in the morning. To say, I get to speed up Christ's return and participate in God's eternal divine plan. Right? That's worthwhile. That's the second thing he says. The third thing, and I'm just going to mention it. The third thing it says we should be doing is this. It says we should be watching out for error. Look at verses 17 and 18. And I, I, I hesitated even doing that. I couldn't skip it because Peter says it. But I hesitate doing it because I don't want to make you think you... I see people in the church world who spend their whole life trying to point out everybody else's error. That's not what I'm talking about. No one's perfect. No one's got the, tr- the corner on all the truth. There's all kinds of things that I believe that I'm wrong about. I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to go, Mark, you're dumber than a box of rocks. How did you miss that for all those years? And I'm going to go, but it made so much sense. He's like, well, you didn't really listen to me. Okay? All of us. No denomination, no church has a corner in all wisdom. Okay? But um, we are to watch out for error. Look at verse 17 and 18. I'm not trying to make you into people criticizing everything and picking apart everything. Verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this again, that all these things are going to happen, um, no, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Why? So that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. In the vernacular of today, in other words, get messed up. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And when he comes back, amen. He's saying, listen, he's telling them to grow about the grace of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying, that's where you focus your attention on, who Jesus really is. And all I want to say about this is basically one thing. It's this. If you know the truth, you will be able to identify the false. I'm shocked at what people fall for. I'm shocked by what people fall for in the church. And I'll tell you why it is. 
They don't know the truth. You listen to every preacher on the internet instead of sitting with your Bible every day and taking some time to read it. You'll make every excuse for not doing the Experiencing God book instead of taking the time because all Experiencing God is going to do is going to force you into the Word every single day. And the truth of the Bible is going to be it just flood your heart and your mind. And all you need to know to find error is know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. If you know the truth, you will be able to identify what is false. Friends, just settle it in your heart. There will always be people with improper motives, and that's what it is. Improper motives that try to lead people astray. And the way you make sure that it doesn't happen to you so you don't get messed up is that you know God's truth. That you read God's word. He wrote it for you. He wrote it for you. He had, he had all kinds of people, over 40 authors, over thousands of years, write it for you. And he preserved it. One of the best things I've ever been to was the, the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit when it came to the museum because it showed how much God has preserved his word. There's no, no book in the history of the world that's been preserved like this. It's, it's God's word to us. God has, by his spirit, preserved it for you. He wrote it for you. And friends, as you anticipate Christ's return, know that false teachers and false teachings will arise and Peter warns us about it in advance. Friends, you don't need to be worried about it. You don't need to become a, a, an error police. He's talking about for you. Don't spend your time criticizing everybody else. Instead, just make sure you know the truth. The truth will set you free. You don't need to be worried about it. Just spend time in the truth and you will see clearly what the error is because God promised in his word that the Holy Spirit will help us to know what's true and what's false. But he does it through his word. That makes sense? So let's wrap up today. Jesus is coming back. It might be today. I wanted to go to the verses that I'll say it could be today, but suffice it, the Bible says it over and over and over. It could be today. So friends, let's live as Peter instructs us. Let's live good lives, holy, pure lives where we're ready. Where if Jesus came back today, you wouldn't want to hide. Let's speed up Jesus' return by recognizing that God's placed you where he's placed you and he's placed me where he's placed me on purpose so that we can have a positive influence on people who don't yet know Jesus to helping them find Jesus. Be active in helping people come to know Jesus. It's the only way you'll find joy. If the only testimony you have is about, I got saved 20 years ago, you're not engaged in the mission. Because if you're engaged in the mission, things are going to happen to you today that God's going to have to come through. And third, just watch out for error by knowing the truth. Invest your life into knowing God's truth. Make sense? Peter's a pretty practical guy, right? That's why I like Peter. He's just practical. This is how we should live in, in the reality of Christ's return. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Precious Jesus, thank you that by popular demand, you over and over and over and over and over again deal with this truth that you are coming back one of these days. Those people from AD 65 thought it would be before they died and it didn't happen that way. And God, I've known wonderful godly people who were convinced that they would go by way of the rapture instead of by way of the grave and they died and went by way of the grave. But we know this truth from your, from your word that you are coming back and it could be today. And we look forward 
to that great day when you return. And we even pray this, Lord. Come soon. Come soon. As your word says in one of the epistles, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. That we have that example of the early church praying, come back, Jesus. We're ready. We want you to return, to rule and reign, to, to, to yes, to bring judgment on sin and ungodliness. And we want to live in that eternal situation where righteousness rules and reigns. But we know you're restraining because you want people to have a chance to come to know you as Savior and escape destruction and judgment because you love them so much. And Jesus, on behalf of this church family today, I just pray this prayer. We dedicate ourselves, Jesus, to holy living. We dedicate ourselves to impassioned outreach. We ask you, God, open our eyes to those who are open to knowing you around us. Today, God, as we interact with people, show us somebody who doesn't yet know you, but they're open. Give us the courage and the wisdom to simply begin to tell them what you've done in our lives. And let the love of Christ flow through us so they can see that you are so real and so good. They'll be drawn to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Now, friends, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're in prayer. Just maybe you're here today. And you know this in your heart. You know that you're not walking with Jesus. You do know this, that if He did return today, that you wouldn't be happy because you know He wouldn't be happy with some of the things going on in your life. But ultimately, some of you know this. You know that you've never really given your life to Jesus. It's possible. There'd be someone here today that says, I've never really given my life to Jesus. But something's going on inside of your spirit right now. Your heart's maybe racing a little bit, and you're saying, how come I'm feeling this draw, this tug, saying this is for me? Friends, that's the Spirit of the Lord. The Bible says no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him, and the Father draws you, pulls you by His Spirit. And if you're feeling that today, what you're feeling is the pull, the tug of God, saying, I love you so much, and I want you to come into a relationship with me. I want to forgive you of your sins and make you my child. And from this day forward, you can be that. But He offers it to us, but we must receive it. So if you're here today, friend, and you say, today's the day I want to respond to God's call, His invitation. I want, to, I want to ask Jesus into my life. I want to ask Him to forgive me my sins, but I want to be on that. I want to turn my life over to Him and now live with Him and for Him the rest of my life. If that's Him, I want to ask you to do something bold. Really just between you, me, and God, because no one else is looking around. If you say you're ready to do that, I want you to raise up your hand today. When I see your hand, I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to tell you to just go ahead and put it down. So slip up your hand right now, all right? can put it down. Anybody else? I'm not here to embarrass you at all. Anybody else who says this today, I want to ask Christ in my life. I don't want to belabor it. And it's not about me coercing you. I'm just saying, is God doing that work in your life? All right. Well, I'm going to invite the whole congregation to pray with me. You raised your hand today. I want you to pray this prayer from the depth of your heart. You're inviting Jesus to become your Lord and your Savior. Savior, meaning He forgives you of your sins. He's saving you from the path you've been on. He's putting you on a path where you walk with Him. Lord, meaning now He He is the ruler of your life. So I invite the entire church to pray. And if you raise your hand today, just join us in this prayer. Mean it from the depth of your heart. And God is listening. So let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, 
I need you. And today, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, I give my life to you. Be my Lord. Be the one who guides me. From this day forward, God, help me to hear you. Help me to understand you. Fill me with your spirit so that I may become the person you want. So on this day, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And I commit myself this day to walking with you for all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.